Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. And hello, and welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. Hey, guys. I'm surprised you remembered how to do that. I almost forgot. It's been a long time. Yeah. We haven't met in over a month. It's true. Yeah. Holidays. Holidays. So, yeah. It'll be 2023 when you hear this, audience. <laughs> not true. <laughs> it's not true. We have an editorial calendar that tells us it's just a couple of months away. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But the holidays will be far behind us. But right now I'm still in my bleak period. Aww. The world is a sad, sad place where there are no lights. But you still have one Christmas tree up and a wreath on your front door. So there's still some holly jolly in your house. Yeah, I was not okay to let it all go. And my mother-in-law actually taught me to try and get more things that have like exactly Christmas things in the decoration and then you can leave them out through the winter. The truth is I can do whatever I want. I don't understand exactly Christmas things in the decoration. So like not Christmas trees, not like Christmas oh, packages don't in your decor. Get things. Yeah. I see. Okay. So like that try to do things like more like snowmen or like, you know, like I can't leave Santa Claus on my front door. I mean I can. This is what I'm saying. Like you can do whatever you want. Exactly. There we are just no rules make anymore. rules to put on ourselves, right? Right. But like, so like, it's okay for me to have snowflakes out. Right. Because it's... It's, it's still winter. Literally, it's cold in Georgia right now. It doesn't snow usually here until... If it's going to snow, it's usually January, February, or early March when it does. So yes. You're still in the clear. I'm, it's all okay. Well, and it looks cute. So you've got a little... What do you call it? Hug, hugga? Higgy? What's the thing that means coziness? I think it's higa. Okay. Higa. You've um, got that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The cozy. It's how I know I'm Danish. <laughs> That's how you remind yourself. That's how I know. Okay. Well, that in my um, tests. You're 23 and me. The other one. Oh. Uh, ancestry. Ancestry. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, not that. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Mm. I'm British. Oh, I'm like 87% British. British and Irish. A little bit of French. Yeah. And like, we don't need to go here now. I don't know. I've also got African in me. Oh. Like, it's it's not an insignificant proportion either. Really? This is like 90% British and Irish, but it's just cool. that, that Getting that breakdown is really helpful because yeah. that's stuff I didn't know about myself. Well, and it continues to change. Mm, yeah. Because like the more people that come into the system, like the more they know and right. blah, blah, blah. blah. Wow. Another segment for another day. Yeah. <laughs> I presume you've got difficult questions for me. You know I do. But we're like drawing to a close. Well, I have two questions in this one, as always. And then I've got one more questions left. Okay. Mm-hmm. For our next episode. And then after that, we're done. The Proust survey is no more. Oh, man. So, yeah, not sad. I'll cry about it sometimes. Like so many tears. Um, so, what is your greatest regret? <laughs> they put all the sad ones at the end, so I don't know what to tell you. Oh, jeez. Uh, greatest regret. I think we've talked before. I, I, I say this to my husband a lot. If I had the male confidence that he has, I could run the world. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my greatest regrets is when I was younger, like coming out of college, maybe my last little bit of college, um, not trusting myself more and not seeing my value more. And so there were some opportunities that I either didn't put myself up for or that I passed over on thinking at the time that I was making the right decision. But really, I think I was limiting myself. And I think that it took me a really long time. And you know that it's something I still struggle with, but owning my value and owning my worth and what I can bring to the world. And I just regret that I spun my wheels for so long on that without realizing 
that I have some unique value. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's heavy. No, but I'm it's sorry. no. Don't be sorry. I mean, I think I think that's a really important thing for people to think about, um, especially like just in terms. <laughs> this is why the isms matter. Mm. You know, and this is why raising people a different way just because they have a different body part mm-hmm. matters. Well, and it's not, in some ways it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. There's other things that are not purposeful. And so I totally agree with you. I also think I would have gone farther if I had the, um, <laughs> I'm just stuck here with you. <laughs> I know. Uh-huh. I, I think that the flip of that is like, it's a huge regret um, that I limited myself, that part I do regret. But I don't think the outcome is negative. Like, I think I ended up in a good place. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. Um, and I think there is something to say, like, maybe the robe was windier. Yeah. Twistier. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you're not where you're meant to be. And I've put in the work over time, the personal work to challenge, you know, challenge the way I think about myself, challenge – um some of the questions, one of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years is this concept of like a false narrative that you tell yourself. You build this story that I'm not good at. I can't do X. That never occurred to me that I was limiting myself because I thought, because I might have heard some of these things. Like I we grew, I grew up um, hearing that I wasn't an athletic person. I was just always told like, you're just not coordinated. You're not athletic. And um, in high school, I played uh, varsity volleyball and tennis and learned I actually am athletic. Maybe I wasn't at that time or maybe I hadn't find, found the right fit, but I tried these things and I pushed myself outside of my box. So I feel like if I had been able to do that in other ways, kind of in my early 20s, maybe things would be different. And maybe to your point, the road wouldn't have been quite so windy, but I had the opportunity to put in the work and learn it about myself. So right. what about you? Uh, so I, I feel like I could probably sit here and think of like maybe something specific, but I think that mine is broader in the terms of like anytime I've been too scared to do something. So I think it's similar to yours, Mm -hmm. but mine is not necessarily, it could be fear of like me not achieving like a given thing, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just like, it's like your old regular fear. No. uh And so anytime like, um, so the first example that comes to my mind is more like driving. Oh, Mm -hmm. as you know, (laughs) I love to drive. And so like just thinking about the things where I'm like, I've turned down going somewhere or doing something because I'm like, I don't want to drive there. I'm scared. So those are like little things. But I feel like those kind of the things can add up and you miss out on things and blah, 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 blah. And back when we were still like talking about kids and stuff, I told Casey, I was like, I want you to get a hold of them. Not me. Like Mm. when it comes to driving and all of that. uh Like I want... I want kids that feel like they're fully functioning human beings mm. because I don't ever, ever want someone that I imagine you love that innately to <laughs> go through what I go through in my head. It's a scary jungle up here. <laughs> and no one should have to, you know, be subjected to that. Um, so I was like, I want them to have your crazy, stupid confidence mm-hmm. and just uh, all of that. And not yeah. this like person who questions everything that they do. Mm. So I would say that's my greatest regret. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is general. Yeah. It happens daily. It's a ongoing regret. That one's a really tough one. And I think that's where you end up with books like that that Year of Yes book. I think a lot of people struggle um, with these, um, in some ways, minor fears. Like if you think about like 
the fear of dying is a really big one. The fear of driving is maybe kind of minor compared to that. But these are things that compound. Like it starts with a fear of driving. And then that puts you maybe where you don't have as many experiences out with a lot of people, which makes you afraid of crowds. And then you you have this fear of crowds. So then you miss out on like you get an invitation to the presidential inauguration or something. I don't know. And you don't go. because And it just sort of compounds over time. Mm-hmm. Snowball. Um, so, right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where you end up with these people who just like cold turkey tell themselves, I'm, I'm doing everything. I'm doing all the things. Right. Um, there needs to be that like regulation of maybe not doing all the things, but doing some of them. Sure. Trying more. Yeah. Putting yourself out there. Right. And that's where I think like ours really is relevant to each other. Yeah. It's like we have something in common. <laughs> um, I, Just the one thing. Yeah. You want something light? Yeah. Okay. How would you like to die? Oh, that's an easy one. I don't I painlessly. <laughs> right? First yeah. things first. Yeah, I'm painlessly. I, I think dying in your sleep sounds glorious. Mm-hmm. Dying I, in your sleep with, like while you're asleep. I don't know. I don't know that we know people just completely die in their sleep. Like what if they wake up and have a moment of agony? Well, I mean, who is going to be like, buy a serial killer? Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I, obviously there's someone out there who is. I'd like to be maimed by a corn harvesting machine. Yeah. As long as it's the process is long <laughs> and drawn out. Then all my boxes have been checked. Yeah, no, I think just in my uh, in my sleep of just like the old age. Yeah, but like I want to have lived a good life to that point. So I'm going to start putting tentpole <laughs> requirements around my life to that point. Okay, okay. I want to be Rose from Titanic. Do you remember oh, yeah. the end? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So for anybody who doesn't like, minus the whole, she let her love of her life like drown and just watched it and she just yeah well kind of she was like almost catatonic from the cold (laughs) but she didn't get dropped into Uh, the atlantic ocean maybe the most hated character i don't know (laughs) but Uh, in lost oh me too but like how all the things that they had discussed that she wanted to do and that's when you're like openly sobbing at this point watching the movie and it's like she's on a horse because it was like in the 30s and women weren't on a horse unless they were side saddled or what well it wasn't okay i do know when titanic happened (laughs) (laughs) maybe it was the 30s when she finally got on the horse correct i think that's what i thought you meant or like all these different things that she said these mile markers you know that she was like i'll probably never make it happen and then she makes it happen and like he had told her it was going to happen and so like that's how i want to go out like rose from titanic well you're gonna have to start saying yes to more things then i gotta get it together maybe i need to get this book yes you might need to i've never read it so i don't know but Uh, go for it are we ready to move on to episode 16 let's do it so um this episode is called there's some black people coming to dinner hulu's episode description when claudia is asked to a school dance by a young black boy it turns out to be a double date with mary joe and his father imdb says mary joe's daughter claudia is going to the school dance with kyle a star football player who happens to be sorry who happens to be black? Mary Jo has no problem with this, but Kyle's father does. It's just funnily worded. No? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but it also aired... sounds like some of the writing in the episode, but we'll get there. Yes. Agreed. It aired January 25th, 1988, written by LBT, directed by Jack Shea. Selena has some interesting notes here about Jack Shea. He directed 13 episodes in season one of Designing Women. This will be the last episode he directs for the show. That sounds so ominous. Dun, dun, dun. Was there a falling out? Do we know? Oh, I mean, um, 
We might have to look into that and report back later. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he's mostly known for directing the Bob Hope Show and the Jeffersons. Just to say, he's got some. He got some cred. <sighs> Are you ready to jump in? Let's jump on in. So I'm going to put out that my general observation with this whole episode is that I had to sit with it Same. a while. Yes, I watched it a like few weeks. times. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, I've I've watched this episode probably three or four times, mm-hmm. spread out over. We pre-watched last summer, kind of thinking about the this season of the podcast. So watched it like in August, mm-hmm. and at the time, I remember having a lot of thoughts about it. And then we started again, like before the holidays, watching this. So I had to sit with this one for a long time. That could be a good thing. I actually think maybe not. I think it wasn't necessarily a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we dig into anything. I I have some caveats for the episode. I'd welcome you to jump in. Okay. Um, I think the first thing is that obviously we're at a different place with racial reckoning in our country in 2022, which is the year we're recording this, versus 1987, which is when this episode was written slash aired. Mm-hmm. Way different. So my viewpoint just in general is different, and I think the bar is different. Something we always want to say. That's been our like caveat, our big headline for this entire podcast is we're trying not to put 2022 – values and expectations on a 1980s TV show. But we have to note the difference. We have to note the difference because that, you know, I think he even said it, Matt said it in the episode, like sometimes you can simultaneously see how far you've come and how far you still need to go. I think this show and the timing helps do that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other thing that, you know, I think we've maybe said this a couple of times, like we're not black, we're two white people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that our viewpoint is always cushioned with that. Um, We we can't bring a black perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked, I think we should mention, we've talked a lot off air. And I think we've mentioned on the podcast, maybe in season one, in some of like our early episodes, that one of our big goals for the podcast is to bring diverse voices in and to have other perspectives other than ours. You joked at the beginning of the episode, it's like we have something in common. We have a lot in common, which makes it really fun to record together. But it means we might not always have the most diverse perspective on these um, storylines or plot lines. Sure. Um, so we haven't been successful in doing that, and that's bringing in any guests so far um, because it's just logistically sort of a nightmare with what we're dealing with. Um, and then there's we're still building the podcast. So at some point we want to do that, but we haven't been successful in doing that. Um, this feels like a weird episode to call up a black friend and say, hey, do you want to be the one that tells me how you feel about this? Yeah. It's also it's also a tall order, I think, just in general, when I've been trying to think about like who we could ask to be on is like, are they TV experts? Right. Just for any episode. And right. so sometimes I feel like I'm, because <laughs> we're television experts, um, I don't know, two seasons in, I'm starting to feel like one. <laughs> and, but like, you know, or just some sort of basis for them to be like, why are you asking me about this show I don't watch? Right. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. So all that to say, we want to cushion this episode with those, at least I do. I And I feel, I think you agree with that. I, I want to cushion it with, <laughs> with those things. No, I disagree with everything you've said. <laughs> Get out. Yeah. I think it's important to us to cushion this conversation with that yeah. um, and just make sure that we've we've said those things. We don't need to harp on them, but we just want to say them before we jump in. Um, and also, I'll just add, like, we're always happy to come back and update on things. We're always happy to come back and share new perspectives or new things. Um, so if we have someone who reaches out and says, I have a really strong perspective on this, or I think you should have talked about this, we will absolutely bring it back and discuss it. So this isn't like a a dead thing. But what we're talking about today is limited by our perspectives. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Long-winded way of saying that. Um, so all of that said, <laughs> my general reaction is this was not my favorite execution for okay. this topic. Okay. Um, I think my my first big question is I would absolutely love to know. So LBT wrote this one. Did she consult with anyone who's black? Mm-hmm. Did she ask anyone how they felt about this portrayal of this perspective? Some of the things that Julia says late in the episode kind of um, reframing what Matt was saying, but putting it in a different way for Mary Jo. Like, were those LBT's perspectives of what a black person might think? Or, you know, even if it's informed by like articles she's read, or was it an actual person or people she How was consulting? How excited would you be if I was like... Come on in, Linda. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have that. So I'm guessing she's not here. <laughs> right. So we don't have that. We don't know. So the best we can do, I think, as I kind of thought about this, I think you were headed a similar vein. Maybe we can break down the characters' reactions, the characters' perspectives for the whole episode. Maybe that's a good way of going. Let's do that. Can I add one thing? Yes, please. Okay. So just an overall general reaction. Oh, sure. I would say as an addendum to what you're saying. Again, I think very much so in this idea of like, right now we're in 2022. I don't know why I'm having so much. I'm like, <laughs> I, I keep can't. struggling with it. Yeah, I'm like, two, oh, two, two. Okay. And then also looking at 88 different times, let's think about what they were doing that was different for them. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So we're, first of all, we're covering some really heavy stuff. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, and I think, what she was doing then, writing an episode built around a series of conversations about race, racism, and interracial relationships in the late 80s, conversations that became uncomfortable even, mm-hmm. I, I think that had to be highly unusual for them. I think it would still be a little unusual now to sit different races down and have like this like ping pong back and forth but have you thought about it from this? Like it happens Especially more a, now, but not in a sitcom. Tom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like in um, I've been watching Modern Family again, mm-hmm. picking it back up, and they talk a little bit about Gloria's um, uh, culture and where she comes from. But it's always sort of like almost a joke, yeah. and not so much kind of digging into it. Yeah. Um, and you have shows like Blackish where the the show is tackling these issues, um, but you don't have that like bringing the two groups together or multiple groups together or different people together to talk about things from different angles. Right. Especially in sitcoms. We're, we're growing. We're growing. We're growing. We're learning. Um, I'm glad you pointed that out because I think you're right. I think there's – to temper my reaction and when we get to rating later, I think I say something similar, which is this is 2022, me watching this, thinking it could have been a better execution. But for sure, it was probably doing things that were – ahead of the times all of these thoughts that we're having too i think will really play into the extra sugar um Mm -hmm. that relates back to the name of the episode we'll get into that more later on but i i think that uh i think all of these points are valid you know and i think it's all part of trying to like look at this episode and kind of figure out what it means yeah because we are more it's not a casual thing for us you know it's not a casual watch uh the other thing that i just i have to mention before we go any further is one thing that uh i felt that was not necessarily positive is that initially this just felt really dusty to me watching it in 2022 Uh like this um this 
the genesis of the whole episode. Oh, uh-huh. That we need to spend an entire episode. It's such a big deal for two teens of different races to go to a dance together. Yeah. Just feels like so, like, really? We're taking this kind of time? Yeah. And then I remembered... Like seeing in the news about a decade ago about a place here in Georgia that still had a segregated prom and had just recently desegregated their prom Wild. here in Georgia. And so that I, I like wound up watching a documentary earlier. It's like late last year. It's called Southern Rights. Hmm. Um, and it basically documents like the transition from the 2002 segregated homecoming um, and so the, sorry, this says homecoming, not prom at Mount Vernon's Montgomery County High School to its first integrated prom in 2010 oh, and beyond. This. You remember that being all over the news? I do. So I watched that documentary. Um, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. It's definitely worth a watch again, Southern rights. Um, I think I found it on Hulu. So the other thing I wound up running across after I remembered that documentary was the CNN article Another place in Georgia, Wilcox County, where in 2014, for the first time in decades, students attended a school-sponsored prom that was open to all students rather than a private, racially segregated prom. So we've got a couple of articles we'll link to in case people are interested and just want to see that. But it feels like a lot, especially being in our home state. It's just so odd to me because I... I think I've mentioned this on the show before. I went to a really, really diverse high school here in Metro Atlanta. And so like interracial relationships were, to your point, like that was, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. That was no big deal. Um, But I straddle that interesting line of having spent some of my formative years in that environment, but also having roots in more rural areas um, and entrenched in more like traditional, which I'm putting in quotes, like traditional Southern-ism. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny to me to kind of hear that and simultaneously be surprised and not surprised. Yeah. From my lived experience, I'm like, what the heck? Who's living like that still in Georgia? Then on the other hand, I'm like, I know who it is. Mm-hmm. I see them. I know it's happening. It's just odd. Well, and if you ever needed to know why we have such different opinions around the country, but look at where people are mm-hmm. in vastly different places. And mm-hmm. I, you know, just not even necessarily living in the same year. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why there's so much animosity between groups. So, um, and I mean all kinds of different groups, um, mm-hmm. political on down. So I just, I, I had to mention those things mm-hmm. because I needed to check myself Yeah, to be like, really? Yeah. And then I'm like, oh yeah, right. really? <laughs> Thanks for mentioning that. Are you ready to break down the character reactions? Let's do it. Um, so you pointed out, I, I was going to do this individually and you pointed out um, that really Charlene, Suzanne, and Julia don't really add much to the conversation and that really they're here for comic relief. Um, I agree with that, but because my list is bulleted out, I'm going to go ahead and say, Charlene, my notes say she couldn't care less and she loves Matt Jarvis. We learned they have a little bit of a history um, and she's never had any issues with him and is surprised there would be any issues. I will bullet point, no asterisk, Charlene to say, though, when Mary Jo mentions that Kyle is black in the beginning of the episode, her head whips around as fast as everybody else's, Mm -hmm. which led me to believe there's something a little bit more than couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. It still raised her eyebrow for some reason. Mm -hmm. Suzanne is worried. 
She is worried about the complications. These things get complicated, and you're just better to stay out of it. Right. Um, And then Julia, as I think we would expect from Julia's character, isn't bothered by it. But she, um, she is bothered by Mary Jo being held hostage. This is my framing. Uh, by a, Matt for a date. She was a little bit bothered by that. It's that feminist in her coming out. Right. And this will it should. So what I missed. Did you have any other reactions about those three characters? I think same page. Same yeah. page city there. Um, okay. I think that uh, they just, they served as the comic relief that we needed. And I think Julia did, does what she does when she does it well, which is she winds up being some kind of a voice of reason. Yeah. So, so I'm hoping everybody watched the episode because we're going to jump right into, I think, a pretty important scene sort of maybe toward the middle of the episode between Mary Jo and Matt. Okay. Um, and so I think this was this was the conversation where they're having coffee um, and they're talking about this date. Go ahead and say it. It's 8 o'clock at night. It's 8 o'clock at night. 8 o'clock at night. I am usually getting in the bed around 8.15, 8.30. Yeah. It is decaf. decaf. There's a whole... They add in a whole line about it. I wonder if it was for you. I think it might have been for me. Who's drinking coffee at 8 p.m.? Head in decaf. I don't know. Anywho, so do you want to start with Mary Jo or do you want to start with Matt? Do you have a preference? Uh, Nope. We'll start with Mary Jo. Um, So it seemed to me that Mary Jo seems conflicted about this date from the very beginning, maybe without even realizing she's conflicted. She begins couching very early on. Yes. Okay. She begins couching even before the conversation with Matt. Mm -hmm. She begins couching very early on with the other ladies that he's this great student. He's this great person. Oh, and by the way, he's black. Yeah. So something about that tells me that there was a conflict happening in her head. She gets very defensive about him being black. When they're like, oh, he's black? She's like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Um, She got defensive about which football position he plays. I don't know. It's probably a good one, though. Um. And then, so then later you fast forward a little bit when she's having coffee with Matt, she seems a little less, a lot less conflicted. I don't understand the big deal. He's black. She's white. They're just kids. But there is a conflict happening. So see, yeah, I think part of it might be that maybe she feels like she has to be on defense for some reason with the with the women in the office to make sure that they understand that she's, she's doing her job as a parent. She's hitting all the right marks. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. The things that you said, because they're almost point for point, what I had down about Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. just to take a pause and say, I mean, I would be very shocked if Linda had been at the door that she would have said, no, 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 that's not what I was trying to do at all. I think that's exactly what she was trying to do. And I think that's something that we would have to put in the category of, well, you nailed it, girl. Right. You know, so that feels fair to say. Mm -hmm. I think maybe she's more, I don't know, she actually is relaxed. When she's with Matt? Oh, no, definitely okay. not. I think that she's Certainly trying not. to make the whole situation sound like it's like no big deal. Feel even natural. If kind of, because she wants, she, what I think it really is, um, too, that gets her out of the kind of race conversation is that she just wants Claudia to be happy. Right. That's her daughter. Right. So I think that's a big part of it as well. She wants Claudia to be happy and she self-admittedly hates conflict. Yeah. So she wants all of this smoothed over. As easily as possible. Yes. I'll just add really quickly that later when she's talking to Matt, the thing we learn is she's never actually given race relations much thought, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really huge 
reason people use. I don't want to use the word excuse and I don't want to use the word defense. It's a reason. It's a rationale that people have trouble navigating these conversations because in her instance, she says like she never dealt with it. So I think we've had, she's conflicted about it from the beginning, kind of seems like she doesn't think she is and doesn't know why. She meets with Matt and she is much less conflicted and feels very convicted that she doesn't understand the big deal. We learn toward the end that the undercurrent of all of this is ignorance and not having ever had to deal with this situation. Mm -hmm. So she's going through this range of emotion learning as an adult and er unlearning as an adult, which I think helps explain and fill out Mary Jo's portion of the episode. I just wanted to add that counterpoint because we were talking about what she was like in the beginning, what she was like in the middle, and that's where I found her at the end. I think she was rocked. Yeah. That's it. I think, because I think it brought into, I think she considers herself progressive. I think she is. Yes. But I think like she'd never been confronted with this specific situation before and it's uh, we'll talk about this later in extra sugar but it's one thing to walk the walk and it's another to talk the talk Mm -hmm. but switch those (laughs) maybe either way it doesn't matter they're two different things you know right i'm sure i think you got it right on some level somewhere that makes sense (laughs) so do we want to talk about matt let's talk about matt okay get started off So his general argument with Mary Jo is that he's against this date because he tries to teach his children to love all people, but doesn't teach them that all people will love them. Okay. That's the the crux of his argument. Um, And so I guess I'm I'm wondering if we reacted to that in the same way. So um, I think that um, (laughs) this is where that caveat that I'm white comes in Um, because – Yes, that's a general lesson as a parent that you try to teach your kids, like uh, love everybody, that first part. Um, the second part is, I think, less it's obviously less relevant to white people. We don't have to worry about that as much. Um, but I think that fortunately, I'm part of a generation, I think, of parents who are building resilience into their children and are building this idea in that the world is a diverse place. Not everybody is going to react to you the same way that you react to them and vice versa, but it doesn't make them any less worthy of your love. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not, I'm not embedding that concept into my kids as a defense mechanism necessarily. It's just sort of like an underpinning of their, their lives. So I, I understood the argument from, a black parent perspective. I could understand building in that defense mechanism after years and years of proof that are showing you over and over and over and over again, this is going to happen. So when you have a chance at it with your own kids, you want to protect them. Every parent wants to protect them. This is just that defense mechanism. This is why we need a parent in the room. <laughs> so but- there is some diversity in our show. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I I don't know. I completely agree with his decision. Mm, yeah. But I understood the motivation. Right. So I think we're very much on the same page there. Uh, based on the time period that this takes place, his age, I'm not great at math, but I think that would have put him as a young adult in the middle of the civil rights movement. That sounds know? right. And so I think for good reason, he doesn't want his kids to be naive about how ignorant and hurtful people can be. Mm-hmm. What struck me while you were talking is I think probably there are more con like really conscious efforts by parents than maybe ever in the world's history. You, like it feels like we move from 
push them out and keep them alive, get them out of the house. Those were your three jobs. Okay. (laughs) That was it. Now it's like a lot more detailed. There's like, don't feed them peanuts. Something about like making sure like that they understand that the world is a rainbow and everything is lovely, lovely, you know, but like also, uh, you know, um, making sure they hit, hit all of these different markers that I just think it's just parenting is in a way different place than I think it was in one point in time. Part of what strikes me is that I was raised by a skeptic. I don't know if you could tell that just based on the fact that you're sitting across from a skeptic, but it was very ingrained in me from like, like, like generational skepticism. And so I do think that like, there is some of that that just exists naturally. And so as you're talking, I'm just thinking about the different parenting styles Mm -hmm. and how like we all face different traumas. I think I think my parents had different kinds of traumas and my grandparents had different kinds of traumas. That stuff's like basically written into your DNA they're finding now. And Mm -hmm. so I think that passes on down the line. Mm -hmm. And obviously with African-Americans, we're talking about a fairly big trauma Mm-hmm. That's been passed down the line. Mm-hmm. So, and a to, trauma that like just continues. Not to take it to like a metaphysical level. Yeah. But we're talking about something that like it seems really simple. And they're trying to do a lot with the episode, I think. And, and so that's my why I say at the beginning, I'm not sure this was my favorite execution. Uh, and one of the things I had in my things I didn't like, but I'll put it here, sure. is that I feel like this could have been maybe even a two part episode mm-hmm. to give it some breathing room mm-hmm. because I think. The next observation I have about Matt is actually the part of the episode that just makes it really hard for me to rewatch. Um, so he, I actually think um, – I don't say actually. I think from my perspective, he was making arguments that make sense to me. I've had conversations with black parents in the last two years where they've said, I, I just have to teach my son differently. I have to tell my son probably different things than you have to tell your son. And I say, 100% you do. I understand that. Um, so I know there are different conversations that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully there are different conversations happening in white families so that we are not glossing over these issues and that we are bringing them out and telling our kids, make sure you pay attention to this. It's not okay just to look away and pretend like, you know, Mary Jo, it doesn't affect you. So it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, but the point is I understood where Matt was coming from until the date. And this is where I get heated. So then he, he parlays this into, okay, here's the deal. This is so important to you. If you want the kids to go together on this date. You have to go on a date with me. And Mary Jo says, actually, I'm sort of dating someone. He uses that to say she's racist, to paint her as racist, because he says, oh, I see now. As long as it's junior high kids, it's small potatoes. It's no big deal. But when it becomes adults, that's when it's hard for you to understand or hard for you to stomach. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not what she said. Yeah. That's not what she said. Yeah, I think, so I think we're, I think we feel very similarly. Um, I I think maybe just like a slightly different variation because I think his point is absolutely true. The writing undercut it. That's what I'm, yeah. I agree uh, completely. Because it, it, maybe it should have been a different character. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Mary Jo. Yes. I so, thought he should have asked something. somebody else on another date. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should have asked out Charlene. Yep. Something where we could have played with that a little bit, but automatically we've got two years worth of episodes 
Wait, JD is introduced at episode five, oh, season yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. Long so time ago. So she's like, I'm kind of dating someone. I'm like, you're with someone. Y'all yeah. went on a terrible staycation. With your kids. And we went with you. Yeah. <laughs> Against <laughs> our will. So it's serious because when you're willing to be miserable, you're married. So. I, I agree. And that's why I say it could have used some breathing room, maybe explored to your point. That thought occurred to me when we watched it this morning. Um, that... They could have used another character to make that point. And I feel like it almost inadvertently played into another stereotype that maybe could have been avoided, which is a black man victimizing a white woman um, and putting her in an uncomfortable situation. For, in my opinion, maybe if you're only watching it for one time really quickly on Thursday night when it airs for the first time, maybe all of that just goes through your – like you just sort of see – Oh, I get the argument. Okay, he's trying to make the point that it's different for blacks and whites. Get it? Move on. Mm-hmm. Mary Jo has to confront these issues with herself. But when you rewatch that a few times, it it takes a different tone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that that was super productive for the point of the episode. Right. And it sucks because, I, again, like, it's a really good point. The mm-hmm. stakes are higher. Yes. And um, the show is telling us as much mm-hmm. because – She's clearly feeling guilty over it in those days, like we talked about. Like, we we have both agreed that it really rocked her world. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, they're dropping these little lines very purposefully. She's very attracted to him. Yeah. And, um, and, and she indicates that uh, in almost every different, like, little scene of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because, to your point, he so flirtily asks her. Yeah. Um, it, you know, as a way to discern how she feels and they're, and he's dating someone too. Right. <laughs> so it's not just her. It's right. him too. No, we don't know how serious that is. Right. But we do know he's in a relationship. It really took the punch out of it for me. It sure did. Yeah. That just bothered me so much because I felt like I was, I was with Matt. Like I got it. I loved how in the beginning he said, thank you for the opportunity to talk this over. Thank you for giving me the chance to tell you how I feel. I appreciated that Mary Jo was pushing through, doing the thing that parents often have to do, which is pushing through your own stuff, your own fear of confrontation, your own fear of the unknown, to have this really uncomfortable conversation with him. She was very blunt with her thoughts on it. Um, She called him out and she said, it's a double standard that you want to go out with me, but you won't let your kids do it. For someone who hates confrontation, I was like, go, Mary Jo. And I was in it, in it, in it. And then something about his delivery, something about the way he said, and that's the problem right there. coming off the heels of her saying she's in a relationship with someone like that it just fell flat it fell flat and then it actually turned me on him where i was like oh he's skeezy Mm -hmm. he's skeezy that's ugly Mm -hmm. and i just feel like that's not the direction the episode needed to go Mm -hmm. so i didn't have much to say about julia but i do want to say that she winds up saying something in the aftermath of this conversation where I feel like it helped me to better digest the situation, given that the setup was confusing for all mm-hmm. of that. So I wrote that down. Well, I didn't write anything. I tapped it. <laughs> um, but so she says, I think Mr. Jarvis is saying, if we are equal, you can't just say we're equal, except when it comes to interracial dating or interracial marriage. I'm sure he feels that to be a little bit equal works about as well as being a little bit alive. I wrote it down too. And after it, I said, that I understand. Yeah. And I hate that Julia had to come in and be the savior to make the argument make more sense. It's the blind side. 
Yeah. Or Dangerous Minds. Yeah. Or about 10 other movies that I won't sit here and name. So, which is its own, um, you know, uh, failing. Yeah. So. Uh, it just bummed that, me out. It just yeah. bummed me out. Right. I think there's a line that I found still very relevant today in their conversation mm. in Matt and Mary Jo's. So Mary Jo is exasperated and at some point decries that she's not a racist. Hmm. You know, and Matt says, the question is oh, not. thank you for bringing this up. <laughs> the question is not, Mrs. Shively, whether or not you're racist. We're all racist. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And I think there's a lot of profound truth in that. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone categorizes. It's the way the brain works. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it, the only way we can actually make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. Scientists will tell you that. Neurologists will tell you that. We, we put people in boxes. Many times to our detriment. But it's how we, again, put things together. Mm-hmm. And, but it is what we do about it at the end of the day that matters. And so I think that is like, there's something about that that felt real modern to today, because I do think that we are dissecting things more than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. We're taking out the magnifying glass and we're looking really closely at the inner workings of relationships and the actions we take and the things that come out of our mouth. And we're trying to figure out what to do with them. And much like the course of this episode or the course of this show, we got miles to go before we sleep. Well said. Well, that's going to make my stray observation seem silly. No, 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 no. Thank you for bringing that up. I, um, that line has caught me a couple of times and this morning it really threw me for a loop because I hadn't really thought so much about it, but Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree with your assessment. So I will add nothing. No. I will say that uh, we look at the subtitle script. So there's a web website. I don't think we've ever said the name of the website. There's a website called Subs Like Scripts. And what it is is closed captioning subtitles put into a linear format so you can watch um, the scripts. So that's where we, we come up with the cut lines. Um, the subtitle script website interpreted Julia saying Ole Miss as Ole Miss, which is oh. – it just made me laugh because it's such a southern like Ole Miss – it's just one word. That's true, yeah. And I think I've seen a couple of those. I just wanted to add it in. Yeah, it's almost how your Alexa doesn't all not your Alexa, not my Alexa <laughs> doesn't always understand my accent. And if you think that's bad, you should see her try and interpret my mom's. Oh no! Uh, it seems you to want do me okay to put with in the nuclear codes. No, no, no. <laughs> I just was asking you to add something to my grocery list. I'm just kidding. She doesn't know how to use an Alexa like that. Her talk to text is like, I'm like, just stop using it. <laughs> or do you like ever read it back? Because it's nonsense. It's very personal, Mama Selena. <laughs> she knows I love her. I told her to stop using it. So Claudia <clears throat> was going to withdraw her name from the Carnival Queen because she didn't have a date? Did oh, you catch that? I sure didn't. She said, "I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have them take my name out." You know how emo teens are. <laughs> it just felt patriarchal to me. Uh, it does. She felt like because she didn't have a man on her arm that she couldn't be the queen. That that's just right. really bugged me. That's my that's last true. stray that I will, and then I will shut up. In the world of COVID, it was like super icky that Mary Jo's reason for having Matt come to her house for coffee is because her son had a cold. Oh. <laughs> It's just like, ah, no, that's the no reason thanks. We, that's the reason we meet in a Starbucks bar. Right, right. That's yeah. the reason we have a phone call. <laughs> right. We'll just Zoom this. Um, so I had one. 
which is just that we learned Julia marched on Selma. Yeah. Oh, so, right. There's some character development. And was arrested several times when she was younger with the insinuation being for protesting. So, but we already know she's the most progressive voice on the um, show. So, but to march on Selma. Like, yeah. To be able to say you did that. <laughs> this is a character. It's like not a real person. I'm like, <laughs> oh, to be Somebody a character. Oh gosh. Okay, so we I, I we probably wound up covering a lot of this. I think we've but, covered so much. Yeah, right. But what did, what did you what did you like? I absolutely loved the interactions between Julia and Suzanne in this episode. Yeah. They were snipping at each other like only sisters can, and it all came to a head um, in that conversation after the Matt Mary Joe conversation where they're sitting around having coffee back at Sugar Bean. <laughs> And at one point, Julia's just so over it that she just says, just don't look over there. Just pretend like she's not there. Just a little bit of conversation about a trap door. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was And Suzanne great. was great. I thought Suzanne... <laughs> she's always the voice of ignorance. And we really need that. <laughs> so that was my thing I liked. Yeah. I Same thing. It's like, I just really liked the comic relief that we really needed. Um, and I thought that was helpful and it seemed to come at like all the right points. Mm -hmm. And then I also liked Anthony responding to Suzanne's concern, which was that if Matt wants to date Mary Jo, then Anthony's going to want to date everybody, you know, all the ignorant things that she was throwing out. But his response was really gold. (laughs) Basically, she don't need to worry about all that. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't you worry, Suzanne. (laughs) I'll be all right. (laughs) And then oh, I think so in general, I like the, it, it It may have not been the most perfectly executed thing, but it, it was brave and it did tackle thoughts, feelings, and perspectives that get swept under the rug because people just don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Being Nobody uncomfortable does. sucks. Yeah. And, 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 and sometimes it's really challenging for me to do these kinds of episodes because mm-hmm. I don't want to upset anyone. Yeah. So just my personal cards on the table. Yeah. Um, because I think uh, as much as I don't particularly like people, <laughs> I, I want to put love. I want to be liked. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to be liked. <laughs> I want to be liked. I must be liked. <laughs> So I've covered so many of my things I didn't like in this episode <laughs> yeah. in our comments up top. But like, I, yes. <laughs> I had two I'll add. I'll start with the lighthearted one. Okay. Um, I hate that we didn't get to hear the end of Charlene's story about the cafeteria worker at her school. That's so funny. That was on mine too. Although I do think we we're about to do some fat shaming. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but For sure. <laughs> but I still needed to know. I needed to know. I just needed to know where that was going. They do that a lot in sitcoms. Where they start something and then don't finish it. Yeah. Do you think they couldn't finish the joke of the writer's I think they get room? tired. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, ah, I don't have a good ending. Let's just keep going. Cut her off. My other thing I didn't like is I really felt, you just mentioned Anthony. I felt like he was so underutilized in this episode. That's a great point. Yeah. I thought it was so odd that as Mary Jo is noodling through all of these difficult, challenging thoughts about her own inner monologue <laughs> and as she's thinking through what, uh, what do I really feel about race relations that Anthony's just outloading the truck. Julia, can you help me? Right. Um, right. I was so bothered by that. But it could also be. The same reason that you don't want to call up a friend and be like, hey, yeah, you want to comment on this? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. 
Or that maybe, at least in terms of writing, since he was in the room for part of it, that they could have given him something more substantial to say instead of, I think of that's like, what bothered me. Go fly a kite, Suzanne. It sort of felt like they bring him in, give him a joke, and then tell him to leave, and then these four white women have a very in-depth conversation about race relations. I don't know. I don't you just say- just described the show. <laughs> I Go don't on. say bring him in for the purposes of just making him the the- um, spokesperson for all black people, but in the play, the play that we just watched, the mm-hmm. Designing Women play, um, they have Anthony's cousin is a character, and she says some very powerful things mm-hmm. about black America and about mm-hmm. the state of race relations. And I think that there is something so powerful about having it come from that voice, giving credibility to the arguments, giving credibility to the person and sure. saying, like, we see you and we want to hear your perspective. So I just felt like he was really underutilized. Yeah. All that to say. Yeah. Well, and I do also wonder for the times if maybe they didn't, if maybe the thought wasn't that it would be the most palatable coming from Julia. Oh, I see. Um, I don't. true. I don't think that makes it right, right by any stretch. But again, I think it shows like, and I, a lot of this kind of same thinking I think will come up in extra sugar. So um, I don't know. We'll get there. <laughs> Hour seven. <laughs> The only thing I want to say about what I didn't like um, is that I think it would be, and we've already talked about this to some extent, but I I just can't imagine that people catch the nuance in one watching this show. Which I think might have worked to their benefit, honestly. Maybe. So the point is either watch it one time or 22 and nothing in between. (laughs) (laughs) That's this week's episode of... Oh my. Let's rate this sucker. Let's do it. All right. Start gonna, us off. I'm going to go with After Midnight Old People Dances as my rating scale. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was like, it's 12, 15, and they're still dancing. Yeah. That yeah. sounds terrible. This is Matt and Mary Joe who do wind up going on a date. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope you've watched the episode. We really want you to. But let's just <laughs> say that you're in Ireland and you don't have access to Hulu and your name is Ashley and or Peter. Keep going. Hypersnicky. <laughs> uh, I'm giving it three. Okay. So I, you mentioned earlier in the episode, total props for tackling this issue. I am sure it is one of very few TV shows that, uh, sitcoms I'll say, but TV shows in general that, that tackled the issue and that did it by offering the two perspectives and not just offering the white perspective and the whitewashed perspective. Although, It may have still been some of the latter, but at least the appearance was that it was both. Um, So I appreciate that. I just thought it was a little clumsy and maybe was lacking some of that diverse perspective. That's fair. I gave it a 3.8 out of 5 trap doors for Suzanne. So thanks for mentioning the trap doors earlier. I was like, yes. Perfect. Um, So I I think this is another example of using a platform to discuss important things. Um, The point shaved off was... Just it being really complicated for 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some 80s, Southern, all that good stuff. Oh, I see a head shaking. I got nothing until references I had to look up. Okay, I'll pull you in there. Okay. And share mine. All right, so I have one combination, which was Southern and 80s, and that's Jesse Jackson, the political activist, minister, and politician from Greenville, South Carolina. So that's the Southern part. And then he ran for president in 84 and 88. That's the 80s part. Mm-hmm. Um, 80s thing, we things, 
Yeah, it's just a thing. So Falcon's Crest, the 80s hmm. TV show, we've talked about that in a previous episode. Second reference this season. I think LBT may have been a fan. Or not a fan. I don't know. Southern Things, Little Rock, where Charlene knows uh, Matt from. There's another Braves mention, Mary Jo telling Matt what JD does. And then Ole Miss, where Suzanne went to school. And you then, mean Ole Miss. Ole Miss. <laughs> and then uh, Selma. We got to mention it that. So tell me about the references that you had. I had to look up Lauren Hutton. Number one for me, too. I know. I mean, I know who she is, mm-hmm. but I had to look her up a little bit. She's born in Charleston. Oh, was she? Mm-hmm. Oh, good job. Uh, she was originally dismissed for the gap that Charlene mentions in her teeth. Originally, mm-hmm. people weren't interested in her. Ultimately, though, she signed the biggest modeling contract ever at the time with Revlon. Oh, yeah. And apparently was on Falcon's Crest. Falcon yep. Crest? She was, and then she was also, um, in her filmography, she's best known for being an American gigolo mm-hmm. with Richard Gere. Uh, I also had the National Informer, which is the tabloid that Charlene was reading at the very beginning of the episode. That's what got her wondering about Lauren Hutton's teeth. Mm. Um, I don't think that paper was real, but it is the title of a tabloid in Springfield, which is the city in The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Um, Don't they use that title? Because Springfield is like, it's like living on Oak Drive. It could be anywhere. probably, yeah, probably. I will say it also seems like maybe it could be a porn style magazine at some point, but I didn't click further. It's probably this. So, either way, I don't think it was an actual tabloid magazine. Oh, I see. Well, that's a really good catch. That's good, it for me. You're good at catching those. Thanks. Um, I just will. This I think will help start to uh, introduce what extra sugar is going to be about. Um, but guess who's coming to dinner mm-hmm. uh, was a reference that was made here. We'll talk more about that there, but it kind of mixes in with the name of the episode. Um, it's a movie. Stay tuned and you'll get more. It's really helpful. And then I wanted to talk about mammies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have to like go on and on and on about it, but... It was this weird off the cuff reference at the like almost the very tail end of the episode. I actually thought she said nanny oh, uh-huh. every time I watched it. And then I think at some point in one of our documents, maybe you mentioned mammies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a weird like where's she coming up with that from? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then today, actually, I was listening to it with headphones on and I was like, oh God, she said it. She mm-hmm. said the thing. So Yeah. And she says, like, basically, uh, she's, like, checking in to make sure he's okay. Like, you know, I had a, and she says, black mammy. And he was like, oh, I had one, too. And then they walk <laughs> off into the sunlight or something. And then I was like, well, that was, what? <laughs> Anyways, so people. I'm not racist. Race relations were never a thing in my town. But I had a black mammy. <laughs> okay. So people have dedicated their careers to dissecting the complicated background of this particular Southern character. So I can't do it justice in 30 seconds, but I, I, so I will link to an article, but essentially that argue, that article argues that the idea of a mammy was created to counter anti-slavery, slavery sentiment in mm-hmm. the South. And I just wanted to tack on that this stereotype may have been born in the South, but it endured and still to some extent, though not nearly as much, endures today because it was portrayed in perpetuated in everything from dolls and tchotchke to advertising and movies. I mean, it was very pervasive. Um, so you can dig in if you want to. 
up to you. But it is, it is, it's a whole different conversation. It's an important conversation. Weird reference. Mrs. Butterworth's, mm-hmm. she's based on that caricature, right? Is it Mrs. Butterworth's? Am I thinking Aunt of? Jemima? Aunt Jemima. She's based and on maybe that maybe Mrs. Butterworth too. And they've Mrs. and they've changed the branding mm-hmm. to kind of modernize or with the times. one of them, but maybe not both. I, I'll say that Mammy is one of those things that that's why I heard Nanny the first few times because it is one of those words that just is ingrained in my head as like bad thing. It's not. It's not like the best representation mm-hmm. of you know the South, Southern culture, or black people in general. So it's just mm-hmm. like lawn jockeys in my mind. So that's why I was so like, she didn't just say that. Mm-hmm. What a weird thing to say. And just walk off. Yeah. So I think it was meant to be played as a joke, but I was just like, I just remember being like, huh? What? <laughs> right. Uh, Same thing. So cut lines. Is there anything that stood out for you? There were a few, but I didn't find anything worth writing home about. What? I think... <laughs> I think we can totally go with that. The only thing I'll say is that there was a weird story that was completely cut out. But in cutting that story, weird stories from Charlene, go figure. Sure. But what we missed was a snippet about Matt, which is that he's a chairman uh, for the Southern Black Leadership Conference. Mm. So we did, like, there was like missing this little background-y kind of stuff. And I think that was the only thing that really stood out for me. All right. See you. Ready to go to episode 17? 17 it is. The return of Ray Dunn. They love him. He's back again. We love him. Do we? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so we'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. Our email address is sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. You can find all those things that Selena mentioned. We drop into the show notes on www.sweetteatv.com. And I want to put a plug in here real quick. Oh. If you're having fun with us, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to our podcast. They're helpful for other people to def- to find things related to designing women, podcasts related to designing women, or just to find our podcast in general. I'll also say there's like a real selfish benefit, and I'm just going to own it. Um, so we got the greatest comment on Apple Podcasts recently, a review, um, and we both agreed. I screenshotted it and sent it to Selena. We both agreed. It was a really needed pick-me-up in that like post-holiday bleakness that you mm-hmm. just mentioned. Um, it was just super duper kind. Um, it really means a lot to us to hear that the show is bringing joy to people, that people understand our mission of breaking down something to be entertaining, but also to be informative along the way. And that just that meant a lot to us. So Greenhouse 4, we see you and we thank you for being with us. Yeah. And like, it's a way to pay us back for talking and talking and talking and talking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you owe us. I'm just kidding. Thank you so much. That really means so much. Um, so hang tight for extra sugar. This week, you've already mentioned, you're going to look into the movie. Guess who's coming to dinner? Definitely not. There's some black people coming to dinner because that just sounds stupid. Oh, Suzanne, you just struggle. (laughs) So you know what that means. What does it mean? Well, if Suzanne's struggling, we'll see you around the bend. Bye. And welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. <clears throat> so during this episode, to Julia's annoyance, and we just sort of tipped our hat to this, Suzanne keeps referring to what is also the episode's title, There's Some Black People Coming to Dinner. In reality, she's referring to the 1967 movie, 
guess who's coming to dinner. Right. Huge difference. Yes. Uh, So that is the reference that we'll be digging into for this week's edition. Okay. And one thing I want to say, I'm going to say a couple things off top. If you have any questions for me along the way, audience, go ahead, ask them. (laughs) Nikki, be a stand-in for the audience. If I'm not being clear, let's clarify for the people. Okay. The most important thing to recognize right now is that somehow in between the time when we started putting this episode together and today, it was yesterday, wasn't it? It was yesterday. Sydney Poitier. Am I... Just banging up that French. Poitier. Poitier. Oh, that's so much prettier. It is. Um, I'm Southern. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't call him Sydney Poitier. Porter. You didn't call him Sydney Poitier. 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 Sydney Poitier. There you go. Okay. All right. We're all getting a lesson. (laughs) You can call him SP if you want. Okay. And I don't mean to be laughing. He passed away. So just to, it's just. That's just a matter of fact. It's very sad. In fact, a couple of episodes ago that I don't even know this is, that one's published yet, but we talk about him because he's referenced in another episode this season. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how he is the last uh, star from the golden age of movies, Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So here we are. And I just can't believe that along with having the, you know what? Not that I can't believe... Let's dedicate this to him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah, he let's... was hugely influential in Hollywood. He played a hugely influential role in black representation in Hollywood. So absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So um, this one's for you, Sydney. Thank you for your contribution. And people downplay entertainment, but it is probably the biggest way that we teach anyone anything. Huh? <laughs> so it is very, very, very important. And he was a star of the movie. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, along with Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Catherine Houghton. Um, so I, why I looked at you for like <laughs> pronunciation help, it's my extra sugar, guys. So she doesn't know. What I will say is Catherine Houghton, it's H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. I was guessing that's how it was spelled. And I was thinking, Houghton? Hot, <laughs> that sounds like Houghton. I don't know. Well, she's Catherine Hepburn's niece. So she had just gone by Hepburn. This would be a lot easier on us. I know, just the exact Catherine Hepburn squared. <laughs> yeah. And it was also directed by Stanley Kramer. It was nominated for 10 Oscars, won two Best Actress for Catherine Hepburn, and Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay. And it is among the greatest 100 movies selected by the American Film Institute. Wow. Saying that to say, had a lot of accolades. It did very well at the box office. It was an important movie. It is an important movie. The synopsis is, uh, for those who may or may have not seen it, when Joanna Drayton, a free-thinking white woman, and black doctor John Prentice become engaged, they travel to San Francisco to meet her parents, Matt Drayton and his wife, Christina, who are wealthy liberals who must confront the latent racism the coming marriage arouses. Also attending the Drayton's dinner are Prentice's parents, who vehemently disapprove of the relationship. I hate that synopsis, but there you go. So at least no one's going into this blind, like they don't know the, what it's about. Basically, it's an early, it's an early representation on TV and movies of an interracial relationship and the complications that arise because of it. Yeah. And please don't ever use the word arouses. <laughs> she said it and I laughed because I'm 12. <laughs> well, it's not your fault. It's their <laughs> fault. Uh, so... Despite Suzanne doing things in her very 
Suzanne way of throughout the episode, she's not wrong about one thing. There are some similarities between Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and the episode that we just watched of Designing Women. As we've discussed, the episode has Mary Jo, she's a card-carrying liberal, confronting issues about race, and like Prentice's parents, Matt was initially against his son Kyle going to the dance with Claudia. So there's some there's some similar apples and Fuji's gave us. Okay. <laughs> you kind of get where the title comes from. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Got it. Uh, but also I wonder if that was LBT leaving like some breadcrumbs. Because I'm assuming in in the 80s, that movie felt less far away than it does now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got to ask, have you seen it? No. And actually, I had it on my list of things to do before we recorded this episode. <laughs> Man, the to-do list with this is just I getting watched, long. You know? I watched Modern Family instead. I couldn't find it. So, I oh, mean, yeah, that was the problem. Without paying for it. <laughs> Which sounds terrible sounds now. Sounds awful. It does. I'm sorry. But if we didn't pay for so many memberships for so many other things, so it would mean. feel less whatever. I've seen half of it. So... I was willing to pay for it for what it's worth. It just... I think it was on the to-do list and fell off. But no, all, all that to say now. Yeah. I so I saw half of it, but cards on the table, I kind of thought it was a little boring. So I'm just... I, I just want to be really honest. I feel that way. So this was a 19... Was it 1960? 67. 67. Yeah, I think that would be... That would fall into that category of time period that I think things are boring. Well, I... So I like older movies. And I was actually really excited to see it. I chalked it up to the fact that 50 plus years have passed. But it's also something about that era of movies. You know, the golden age of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels different. So it feels very theatrical. And not so natural. So be like, hello, come on, darling. Let's go and make some coffee while we sit here and talk about politics. Mm. And I'm just like, I can't <laughs> do that. Meanwhile, I showed up today and we were sharing buffalo dip across from the, uh, over the crock pot. So it's a little less formal. We'll How just dare right you? It's exactly what I said when you came in the door. <laughs> Hello, darling. I like to keep it very fancy. <laughs> um, so there's just something about that sometimes it's a little hard for me to get through. I get that. Uh, but one thing I want to do is to talk about this movie, I think we have to first talk about the world around it. So I uh, ran across an Essence article, and they were talking about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That time period. So 67. That's only three years after the passing of the Civil Rights Act. Then it's one year before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And as we discussed in a previous Extra Sugar, several states still had laws on the books that forbid relationships between people of different races. Laws that weren't struck down until right in the middle of when Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was being filmed. Mm. So... I, I think that's just something that we have to like consider as we're talking about what this movie achieved and maybe where it could have gone a little further. Mm. So I also think it was a big deal for the times. I feel very comfortable saying that. Mm. Uh, it examined complicated and sensitive issues that persist to this day, interracial relationships, racism, and prejudice. And then it also portrayed the first Hollywood kiss between a black man and a white woman on screen. 67. That's late. Hmm. Uh, and as an initial 1967 review put it, which was weird to read a review from 67, it, it used entertainment as a way to make people think and think especially about how they would act if they were put in a similar situation. Uh, I think about that a lot. 
And, you know, it's one thing to think progressively, and it's another to be confronted with it in your own life. Uh, Like I said earlier in the episode when we were talking about Mary Jo, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And I, I do think there's something to that. And that's something that runs through the episode, and that's clearly something that they wanted people to think about when they were watching this movie and something that was happening to the parents Mm -hmm. as well who were like the synopsis said very liberal um it also discussed and illuminated familiar racial prejudices Ooh, that's tough word for me and it it made people talk about them yeah so i think just the way that we were able to sit here like it was kind of painful to dissect that episode of designing women but at the same time like i always feel like i like walk away like Feeling like I've learned something. Yeah. Making my mind work in a different way. Uh, We can also see that it was a big deal by the way that people reacted, like, in the general population. So both the director and how... how, Dog on it. I can just say it again. Yeah. So, so, but the actor who played Joanna, they both received death threats. Gosh. And then some movie theaters in the South refused to show it. In fact... um, the actor who played Poitiers' mom uh, was not allowed to see it in her own hometown. Oh, Yeah. So how about the fact that it almost wasn't due or made due to insurance concerns? So the studio said it was about Tracy's health. Spencer Tracy, he was very sick. Yeah. Um, if, do you read into it? Yeah. So he passed shortly after the film was released, like mm-hmm. maybe two weeks or something. But uh, some actually speculate that it wasn't really insurance concerns so much as they were concerned about the content and fear of losing money. Mm. Uh, And Hepburn and the director ultimately put their salaries up for the movie to be made. Oh, gosh. And I think that's really, that's really something. Mm. Uh, The movie turned 50 in 2017. And there were a lot of think pieces that explored what it didn't do. Thank you, Nikki, for sending this my way. (laughs) So critics argue that it didn't go far enough. It was like too cautious. Sure. Yeah, there was a kiss, but there's only once and it's caught in a rear view mirror. And there's also been criticisms of Dr. Prentice's character. So this idea that similar to what we were talking about with Kyle in the episode, like he was written too perfectly. Like, yeah. You know, she's going, Mary Jo's going through this whole resume. It's similar to this. Like he had to be this perfect man, like mm-hmm. a doctor, be involved with Doctor Without Borders, like, you know, feed, go to the homeless shelter every night. Like, you know, it had to be all of those things for mm-hmm. it to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there is an author who wrote a book called shaping the future of African-American film. And her point was, is that the movie could have done a better job of forcing liberal audiences to confront their prejudices and also a better job of reaching out to black audiences. Mm -hmm. The film actually wasn't without critics at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some consider it to be unrealistic and even behind the times for them. Oh, I I was kind of a little shocked by that too. I also ran across an interesting article that talked about the problem with the character of Joanna, who is basically made into a symbol with nothing to say. Mm-hmm. So the only substantial scene where she confronts her father and speaks politically about things was cut by the director. Oh, dang. Yeah. And she's like come out and talked about, well, she passed now, but like there is um, an interview with Barry King where she 
like recounts the situation. And here's what she told him. Because the, the, the director said, because it's just, you know, your character becomes too intelligent. And it's important that you're a symbol of youth and loveliness and hope and so on. And for you to be too articulate, that's just going to be... So Larry King cuts her off then, which I was like, let her finish! But <laughs> she's like, um, I mean, I think we know the end of that story. <laughs> so we know where he's going. Mm. We've been a woman. We've been around the block. Mm. Uh, so... I'd say that uh, that's like a kind of a curveball to the different criticisms, but it does feel important to me to mention that not only maybe were we not portraying Dr. Prentice in the best possible way, but we were undercutting some of what he could have brought, but we also did it to her too. Mm -hmm. And that feels relevant that the isms, the isms are not just one, they're many. Right. Even when we're trying to do a good thing. Yeah. We still. They'll have some problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, the world has really, I don't know if you know this or not, but the world's changed a lot since 1967. <laughs> yeah. A lot and none all at the same time. Right. So, you know, the culture has like shifted in these really tremendous ways. And one of the clearest examples is Jordan Peele's Get Out. Mm. And that was released on the 50th year uh, anniversary of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And thanks to Nikki telling me that. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't put that together, but I didn't, um, that it's actually based on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and it's just it's just an updated comedic horror version. Mm-hmm. So have you seen that? No, I don't watch horror movies, really. You know, it's they called it horror. I mean, I guess it is. Like, it was more suspenseful to me than anything. It, it definitely didn't feel very funny to me. Like, there were some fun, like some funny parts. Yeah. That, to me, does not a comedy make. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. So, I think the movie stars um, Daniel Kaluuya, Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford, and Allison Williams. And it was also nominated for Academy Awards for, and it took home the best original screenplay. So for those who don't know, it's about a young African-American man who visits his white girlfriend's parents for the first weekend. Sounding familiar? But here, where he his simmering uneasiness about their reception of him eventually reaches a boiling point. And there is a lot there. So if anybody hasn't seen it, like, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Uh, what is so vastly different between the two movies that feels very worth saying is the fact that, and this is something I read in a Chicago Tribune article, so I don't want to take their point, but I thought it was a really good one. In Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, that tension and fear lies with someone completely different. It's with the parents. Mm-hmm. It's with the older generation, mm-hmm. specifically the viewpoint of the older white parents. Because even though Dr. Prentice's parents come in, they are not, like, we don't feel the emotion the way we feel the emotion of Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, the two stars of the movie. And in Get Out, it's actually Chris's fear and tension mm-hmm. um, and his perspective that drive the story. And that is something vastly different between the two. And so as someone who's watched half of Guess... <laughs> And all of Get Out, <laughs> I promise you, you really can feel that difference. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that is absolute. Maybe that is why I didn't recognize and pick up that these are like the same movies. Uh, so I wanted to share kind of a little bit about what my take on some things were. I, you know, without giving it much thought, I just assumed it broke a bunch of barriers. So again, like 
like you're the one that was like, hey, Selena, some legacy's kind of mixed. So mm. don't just be out there being like, oh, it's wonderful and everything is sunny. Um, so I really appreciate you doing that for me because I think it is important to look at both of those things. Um, I'm guessing from what you just shared that you were already aware of the criticisms then of guess who's coming to dinner. Okay. Mm. So I, I was mostly surprised, though, about contemporaries in 67, like talking about it being behind the times. That's, that's wild to me. That, that actually is hard for me to understand. Especially because of the things that we talked about with what was going on with the state of the world at right. that time. Right. And the fact that the Supreme Court was just striking down those really ridiculous laws about banning interracial marriage during the filming. Exactly. So, but I sat with it. And the the more I sat with it, the more it reminded me that this is why we need multiple perspectives. And this is why diversity of thought is so incredibly critical. Because we do need progressive thinkers. We need the people who, like in 67, said, this is outdated. We need them pulling us along hmm. and making us better. Because I'm not sure I agree that it was behind the times for the world it was in, but I darn sure know that it should have been. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know, for better or worse, we need the directors like this one, like Stanley Kramer's, these, I don't know, like idealistic pragmatists who know, sure, we need to change the culture, but a lot of America needs a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down. Right. And that was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yes. And that is this week's Extra Sugar. <laughs>